This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. so much for joining us today for a new episode. We always really appreciate you spending some of your time with us and we think deeply about what to share with you as you spend that time here. Today we're going to start by talking about Liz Truss in the UK. I'm sure you've all been following Liz versus Lettuce and have Mm -hmm. seen that Lettuce prevailed. But we Mm want to talk about that as we think more about the midterm elections and all the discussion here in the United States about the economy, because we think there are some real lessons from the UK for us as we go to vote here in the midterms. So that's what we're going to discuss first. And then we are bringing back Pantsuit Politics favorite Carrie Anderson to help us make sense of the protest in Iran. Again, lots of lessons about how interconnected we are across the world and what it means when a people are struggling to be freer and how we want to support that effort. And then stay around to the end of the show because outside of politics, we are discussing our longtime tradition of family Halloween costumes and some really significant changes in our family this year. It's a, it's a little bit hard for me to talk about, but we're going we're gonna to do our best. We are now four episodes out from our seventh birthday here at Pantsuit Politics. We have an ongoing birthday challenge. Today, we are asking you to post four times about the show. Now, this can look any way you want it to look. You could comment on a post on social media. You could share an episode in your feed. You could forward our email newsletter to someone and say, this is a great newsletter. You should subscribe. However you want to do it. We are not picky. And then if you want to be entered to win our Pantsuit Politics time capsule giveaway, go to the link in the show notes and share with us how you posted about the show. We love, love seeing all your entries. We got this incredible message from Karen. She said, throughout my five years with Pantsuit Politics, I have learned that showing up consistently and just having the conversation matters. The way simply continuing to show up has impacted my life and relationships has had impacts that I'm not even sure I'm aware of all the time. But it's big and it's important. Thank you, Karen. And thank you, everyone, for your kind support. It really means a lot to us. And what we hope is that this challenge will help us build an even larger pantsuit politics community filled with thoughtful people doing good work that ripples out beyond those of us who gather here twice a week to discuss the issues. Up next, we are going to talk about what's happening in the UK and what we can learn from it here in the US. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We know that many of you are thinking about midterm elections and a big focus of the midterm elections currently is a discussion about the economy, about gas prices, particularly about inflation. And we think that we can learn a lot from what is unfolding in the UK as we think about those issues in our elections. So we're going to spend a minute talking about what has happened during Liz Truss's very short tenure as prime minister. And then we're going to talk about what we are learning from that that's relevant here in the U.S. Sarah, you've done an excellent job tracking this on Good Morning for our premium subscribers. Can you give everybody the short version of how it came to be that the U.K. is about to have its second prime minister in two months? Liz Truss became prime minister. She met with the queen and then the queen died like the next day, which was probably... A, a, a bad beginning <laughs> under any measure. Uh, she's going to be the prime minister with the shortest tenure in UK history. She beat out George Canning. He only served 119 days because he died of tuberculosis. Okay, so really what took Liz out, she wasn't on a firm foundation to begin with, but what really took her out was her quote-unquote mini-budget, which she put together with her finance minister, Quasi Quartang. Now, what they were proposing should sound very familiar to world citizens everywhere. (laughs) If you look back at government policy over the last several years, which was a quote-unquote pro-growth agenda that involved a lot of tax cuts for high earners and lots of government spending. She had a big proposal to subsidize energy costs. Okay. The markets did not like this plan. I have this visual in my head of Liz and Quasi Cartang dancing long after the music stopped. Like the markets were like, what are you talking about? We're not, we don't want growth right now. We have too much growth. We're all consumed with inflation. And so where you see a lot of this panic is in the bond market, which is is how governments borrow money. People buy government bonds, okay? And usually they're very safe, right? So you see really low interest rates on, let's say, a 30-year government bond, except where you didn't after Liz's plan. You had way more people trying to sell the bonds than buy the bonds, and the people who were buying the bonds were demanding interest rates up like 4 or 5% from what they were before. So the Bank of England, which is the U.K.'s version of the central bank, steps in and says, we cannot have this. We cannot have a panic in the bond market. The whole financial system could collapse. So we're going to buy billions of dollars, $20 billion exactly, worth of government bonds. Now, they are still trying to pivot to what other central banks are doing. And they're saying on November 1st, they're going to embark on, quote, unquote, qualitative easing. All this cold language in the economy when they're trying to describe this monetary policy that kind of makes me laugh, which basically means they're going to stop pouring money into the bond markets and continue to raise interest rates as central banks all across the globe have been doing. So Liz is out. We're going to have a new prime minister, Rishi Sunak, who was opposed to her plans and said so openly when they were running for party leader. He has a very different approach. He's going to have austerity measures, probably lots of cuts to government programs. Not an enviable task before him. He has incredibly high inflation in the UK. The pound is down. He's really got his work cut out for him. If you're finding your head spinning a little bit with the talk about bonds and monetary policy and central banks, we will link in the notes today our episode five things to know about the Federal Reserve. The Bank of England functions not identically, but but similarly to the Federal Reserve. And just understanding what's happening across the world with the economy right now, I think it would be helpful to review that episode. Sarah, what do you see here that we should call out as unique to the UK before we start talking about lessons learned for us in the United States from what has unfolded? I think it's hard to have a conversation about the 
United Kingdom's economy without talking about Brexit. I think Brexit has been a strain on their economy. I think they had some structural issues before that. The financial sector as like a proportion of their economy is huge, disproportionately huge. You know, they're not producing a lot. They're trading a lot of money, but they're not producing a lot. I thought that moment when India's economy surpassed them pretty recently was pretty impactful, right? And I think they have a lot of division inside the conservative party about what to do and what to do next and how to react and how to think about Brexit and the strain on the economy. And I think all that's relevant. You know, Quasi Quartain had a lot of past history with the financial sector. There were a lot of deals struck. There's a a video on Twitter where this MP was just going off and he was like, I'm livid. And, you know, I really shouldn't say this, but I hope all those people that put Liz Truss in number 10, I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it for the ministerial red box. I hope it was worth it to sit around the cabinet table because the damage they have done to our party is extraordinary. So I think you're you're inevitably going to see sort of a resurgence of the Labour Party. I just... It's so it's so interesting because you see just threads of some of the same things we struggle with, a, a disproportionately powerful financial market, isolationist rhetoric that markets do not respond well to. You see inner party divisions that are more about power grabs than they are about policy. And so in some ways, it's like they're unique to the UK, yes, and also lots and lots of lessons for us to learn. When I think about those lessons, the first one that comes to mind for me is very relevant to the way the midterm elections are being covered here in the United States. I am seeing so many pieces uncritically writing about how voters trust Republicans more on the economy. And I understand why, because I also had a 401k during the Trump years. And for a while, it looked pretty awesome on paper. If you had any kind of investment assets and you watched them grow during the Trump years, I understand why you might think that cut taxes, unleash private industry, grow everything as big as you can grow it approach is just what we need now as I am feeling the pinch of gas prices and I am seeing my investments perform much, much worse. I think that the New York Times did a good job summarizing in its The Morning Newsletter, I think it was last week, that inflation is such a challenging problem and it is a problem that requires a completely different approach than that unleash the markets approach. When you have inflation and prices are rising, the last thing that you want to do is create more demand. And a big tax cut is going to put more cash into the economy for consumer spending. And our supply side is still recovering from the pandemic. And you're just going to make that mismatch between demand and supply worse in a way that will keep prices escalating. That is why the bond market, as Sarah was describing, freaked out when Liz Truss proposed doing a lot of what Republicans are proposing continuing to do here in the United States. One of Kevin McCarthy's articulated policy proposals is to make the Trump 2017 tax cuts permanent. You don't want to make things permanent around the economy because you need the ability to react to forces beyond your control and you need tools that you can bring to different situations. This has been a real learning for me over time because I was very much of the mindset that lowering the tax burden and freeing up private investment to make the economy hum was like always a good strategy. And what I've seen over time is that Trump used all those tools to kind of their maximum degree at a time when the economy was in really good shape. And that has certainly contributed to where we are today. It's not Mm -hmm. the only factor, but it has certainly contributed to that. And now we're looking around and we have used a lot of those tools and we need some of them to help us. And they're, they're kind of out. And we're in a new position with fewer options available to us. Because we just slammed the accelerator down to the floor Mm -hmm. at a time when the economy was doing well. Remember, he just wanted him to drop that interest rate and drop that interest rate and drop that interest rate. Look, 
the similarities are important. And also, let's not forget, it's much more dangerous when we play with these things because we are the global currency. So I think it is frustrating. I understand intimidation from discussions around monetary policy. But when we want to talk about elections and we want to talk about civic duty, I really think it's important for us to understand this stuff. Because when it is obfuscated, either purposely or, um, you know, accidentally from us, we, we miss the bigger picture. And we think that, you know, the Republicans in the state of Kentucky can hold a press conference and blame our governor for high gas prices. What are you even talking about? What are you even talking about? Because there are global forces at play here, and we're behind a lot of them because of the power and influence we hold in the global economy, despite the fact that our central bank is just tasked with a singular vision of watching out for us, even, even though we all know it affects everything. And so I just think it's frustrating. It's so frustrating when I see that reporting and this sort of not just simplistic, but incredibly short-sighted understanding of the economy and the role the party in power and the president play in the economy, which is both like paradoxically around some things not very powerful and around other things incredibly powerful. If the Republicans do what they are promising to do, which is to use the debt ceiling as a negotiation tactic, they are playing with fire. They should look and shake in their boots at what happened in the UK. And clearly they're not because Nancy Mace just went on morning TV and said, I'm committed to Kevin McCarthy's plan to use the debt ceiling as a negotiation tactic. Like, you're, you're watching what's playing out in the UK and you're thinking, yeah, that's the way to go is to spook the markets that are already in a pretty, pretty scary place. My dad had this great expression about a former governor of Kentucky, Matt Bevin. He said that Bevin would always look at a problem and think, I'm going to bring a chainsaw instead of a scalpel to this problem. And whether we think it should be this way or not, we are in a position now where the global economy functions like a body. And you cannot say, well, the United States is just the left leg. We're going to cut it off and do what's best Mm -hmm. for the left leg without affecting everything else. And that's why we're sitting here talking about the U.K., because their economy absolutely impacts ours and especially impacts developing nations across the globe. And all of that circulates around to stay with this metaphor. And so I understand looking at the prices of groceries and gas, looking at issues like the price of long-term care for seniors, the availability of babysitters. There are so many things that are really difficult and stressful in American life right now. And I understand voters saying, you know what, where's the chainsaw? Let's just start over again. Let's try something completely new. This isn't working. I want to put something new in. And I think that we are forgetting that this economy is a patient recovering from COVID like everything else and that some stability and some very targeted changes and and patient long-term like therapeutic measures are needed. And some of it's going to be experimental because we tackled this problem differently than we have past recessions. We'll learn some things from that. We chose some of these problems over worse problems that we could be having now. But when you look at all of that, I am frustrated with the idea that we should just replicate the Liz Truss approach in our midterm elections because we can't change horses in a month if we don't Mm -hmm. like the effect of that. I don't think that the UK is the only place where instability and global economic forces are coming to play. We invited Carrie Anderson back to Pantsu Politics to talk to us about the protests in Iran, which are going on right now and are absolutely due in part to sanctions that happened before the pandemic and economic forces that have grown since the pandemic. Carrie is a writer and a political risk consultant covering U.S. foreign policy, international security issues, and Middle East politics and business risk. And she is a frequent contributor here at Pantsu Politics. And we love having her on, and we're so pleased that she came back for another conversation around Iran. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. 
It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Carrie, welcome back to the show. You're our favorite expert. Well, we called you because the situation in Iran continues to escalate. Protests started over the death of Masa Amini, and they have just continued to grow, despite a pretty violent crackdown from the government. And we're always hesitant to make any conclusions without some expertise being brought in about Iran. And and you said you recently just published a report on Iran and that our timing was good. So tell us your perspective on the developments there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's fascinating to watch, I think, as somebody who's been studying the Middle East for for years and including through the Arab Spring. It's you know when there's a situation and things are seething and but you never know what the spark is going to be. Um mm-hmm. and I was working on a report in September and I think I submitted the report to the client a couple days after Masaimini's death. And I was writing about, you know, there were like protests over water in one part of the country. There were protests over food prices in another part of the country. Mm-hmm. And there were some small protests because the number of political executions has gone up in the last year under the President Raisi. And then there were a couple small protests at the time about Masa Amini. And you just never know what is the spark that's going to mm-hmm. happen. And in, in this case, it it was her death. I think her particular case touched some really raw nerves in Iranian society. So I don't think it's surprising that that was the spark. 
but it's definitely something I think probably all analysts have learned. Uh, don't predict what the spark is going to be. Right. It's a historic lesson, too. I think that's why we've been so hesitant to talk about this without your expertise in the larger context, because you're never writing on a blank canvas when something resonates mm-hmm. to this degree. For people who have not followed this closely, can you just talk through her death and how it landed on a larger framework? Yeah, Absolutely. So um, Masa Amini, or I believe her Kurdish name is Gina Amini, um, you know, very young woman, I think she's 22. She was from the Kurdistan region of Iran. She was visiting family in Tehran when she was taken by the morality police and just specific kind of division of the police to primarily enforce hijab. Um, and you know, so, so making sure a woman is appropriately covered under Iranian rules. Um and they arrested her. She was wearing a headscarf, um, but they apparently didn't think it was good enough. They arrested her. Um, it is hard to know exactly what happened, but reports suggest that basically they, they banged her head against uh, something repeatedly. And that within a couple of hours, she had fallen into a coma and died a couple of days later. The regime um, said that she died from a heart attack due to pre-existing health condition. Uh, nobody's buying that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and in fact, since the protests, of course, many other people died, but there was particularly two young women who were killed. And the regime said, oh, they jumped off roofs. Again, nobody believes that. that, that part of the regime's problem is they're just at a point where nobody believes them anymore. Right. So... Initially, some small protests in Tehran and um, in her hometown in Kurdistan, uh, the Kurdistan province of Iran, um, and then those just spread. And I think because it definitely is adding to this this existing canvas. So we have, uh, I think, her death in particular touched on two raw nerves. One being the oppression of women in Iran and. A lot of Iranian women are well-educated modern women, and yet they're mm-hmm. kind of forced to live under this these particular rules. And we can get into that more. I think the the whole issue of the hijab as a symbol has just become a huge issue here. And I, I want to be clear, the mandatory hijab. The yeah. issue here is that the government requires women to wear this. So that was one of the raw nerves. I think the other raw nerve is that she was Kurdish. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How much did that play a role? I think it does play a role. And I've I've heard some experts say, oh, no, no, the issue around ethnic minorities is not an issue here. I think it is an issue here. It is not the issue, uh, but it is an issue. It's important to note that many, many Persian, which is the, the, the uh, largest um, ethnic group in Iran, many Persian Iranians are involved in these protests too. But there are particular ethnic minorities, um, in particular, I think that the Kurds and the Arabs, um, and the Balochs, which I may not be pronouncing correctly, <laughs> but those groups in particular feel very um, discriminated against and oppressed. Um, and so I think those are two raw nerves that her death touched. But then on top of that, you have years of incredibly high inflation. Um, the Iranian economy is in super bad shape. Youth unemployment is massively high. You also have huge problems related to government corruption and just general mismanagement. Also, in the last few years, we've started seeing environmental issues be a major factor in protests. Is there water shortages, um, if farms drying up, floods that you know, kind of people feel that the government could have managed better. Climate change plays a role in this too. Um, And general human rights abuses too for men and women and Persians and ethnic minorities. And it's like, there's this huge brew and it just all came together. And I don't think a lot of people are, who study Iran are shocked that this has happened. It's just, we didn't know like what was going to be the thing to make it happen. But I think that Overall, there's just this hopelessness and this complete disillusionment with the regime. This is a very young country. I think the old ideals of the Islamic revolution just don't gel with a lot of younger people today. And I think they just, there's a real alienation between the government and the people. That foundation really leads me to the question that I keep 
coming back to, which is what do the protesters want? Is it a change in leadership or is it a change in structure or is it just to be heard that none of this is acceptable to them and we don't have kind of an alternative plan? What what are they looking for? Yeah, this is a tricky part. So I think they have been very clear that they don't just want reform anymore. I think the Iranian people are are done with the idea that well, if we just had let's come economic reforms, we just loosen things up a bit, or you know, I think these are very clearly anti-government. I mean, in terms of slogans, mm-hmm. you're definitely hearing the death to the dictator slogan. You're also, I think, very interestingly hearing the woman life freedom slogan. So that's kind of a more I guess kind of positive in, in terms of you know, not just against something, but for something. But what does it mean to be for woman life freedom? Um this to me feels like kind of a guttural cry from Iranian society, especially young Iranians and just being like, this is not okay. Like we're not happy. We're not getting anywhere. But one of the big points of caution um, for people who, who might be hoping that this is going you know, the start of a successful revolution that's going to lead to a wonderful democracy is there's no clear leader. There's no clear agenda. Mm. and. I think that is a real, I mean, that's something we kind of saw in the Arab Spring too, is just this kind of guttural cry, ah, and then they overthrow the regime. But then what? Then like, who's the leader? Who's the agenda? How do we redo an entirely new structure? Um, and, and we're not there yet. What lessons do you take from other countries in the Arab Spring? I mean, no, Tunisia was the closest to democratic reform. And now their prime minister has, you know, suspended the parliament and taking control of some sort of constitutional reforms. Is there any model to look to? Is there any example? It's hard. I think we can look at the Arab Spring. I think we can even look at revolutions uh, more generally. Some of the Iranian activists are looking at some of the color revolutions of, the, of Eastern Europe. Um, I think we need to remember in, in terms of the, the scholarship and revolutions, most revolutions fail. So statistically speaking, that we need to keep that in mind. I also would say Iran did have a successful revolution in 1979. Mm. So the Iranian people do know it is in theory possible to overthrow your leadership. They've done it before. Um, but there's kind of several things. Like one is like, what do we mean by revolution? Would like a military coup count as a revolution? I don't think it would for the protesters because that's not what they want. Um is a revolution the complete overthrow of the existing regime? Okay, and then what? And so if we look at like the 1979 Iranian revolution, you had multiple, you had people were involved in that. You had the, the clerics and those who wanted an Islamic regime. Um, Ayatollah Khomeini definitely played a role in that. But you also had communists, you had Democrats, you had secularists, you had lots of different people. They overthrew the Shah. And then they had kind of their own mini war among themselves that then the, the, those when the Islamic regime won. And, and the, the Arab Spring, we've kind of seen sort of a different story where people overthrew their governments. But then you, for example, in Egypt, you get the Muslim Brotherhood and then the military overthrew them. In Syria, you end up with a massive, horrific civil war, which is a possibility in Iran. I mean, I think if you know, we can mm. talk about scenarios, that is a potential scenario. So it, it, it's hard because there are some places, like we've seen in Eastern Europe, where you can have successful revolutions that produce something better. That is not the way most revolutions in history have gone. Um, sometimes it is, like in the United States. But that is not something that we should assume or rely on. Well, speaking of the United States, how should we think about this as Americans? I mean, I think that there is analysis. I was reading very similar analysis about Haiti. That's that is stay out of it. Stay out, interfering never helps. Although I have to say, uh, Iran is not staying out of things. They are sending drones <laughs> to Russia yeah. to drop on Ukraine. So it's not like America is the only one the only government that goes out there and interferes and plays a role in other countries' conflicts. But how how should we think about this as Americans? Yeah, well, I I personally, I think the Biden administration has done a good job so far in terms of the government response. You know, President Obama had a lot of criticism in 2009 for not immediately backing the Green Movement. He had some good reasons why he didn't do that. Um, I did see that very recently. I think he said that uh, he... That was a mistake. Um, 
Hmm. But the Biden administration has clearly learned from that and they were very quick to expressing support for the protests and condemnation of the government. Um, in a speech to the UN in September, Biden specifically stated that pretty much all of our senior foreign policy officials have stated that some of them have met with Iranian civil rights activists. So I think that is important that we are clear um, and providing that we, we we stand with them. In terms of practical measures, um, the Biden administration has put some sanctions on some specific entities and individuals in Iran who are involved in human rights abuses um, and also involved in shutting down the, the internet um, and, and disrupting the internet in Iran. Um, I think the most important step they have taken is they've actually loosened some of our sanctions that might have prevented technology companies from providing services to Iranians. Um, because the Iranian regime has, I don't think they've completely shut down the internet in this case, but they have significantly disrupted mobile cell access. They have blocked WhatsApp and Instagram. They've taken other steps um, to try to really restrict access to the internet. And so the Biden administration has really tried to encourage our own technology companies to do what they can to provide that access. So I think that's really important. Beyond that, there are people who would call on the U.S. government to do a lot more. I am a little skeptical of some of those. I think the Biden administration beyond that is probably right to kind of step back, let the Iranian people do what they want to do. We provide support, um, but I don't think we should be directly interfering. There's a lot of risks that would come with that. Uh, we could undermine the protest movement by doing that. Well, and they're, I assume they're still trying to reach a nuclear deal. Like, where is that? On the nuclear deal, um, they actually have an article coming out about that today. Um, but they have essentially on the nuclear deal, the Biden administration, I think right now is taking a wait and see approach. So they are saying we still support this deal. But that deal was seriously stalled even before yeah. the protests happened. And I think their approach has been, this is not the right moment to be really pushing ahead with that. Um, so there are some people who want them to just completely halt that. But most of those people were people who didn't support the JCPOA in the first place. Right. Um, what I'm seeing from Iranian activists so far is that they want solidarity with them. They want help with internet access. And... I, most of them seem to be saying, can we just kind of like hold off on the JCPOA right now? And I think that's what what the U.S. government right now is doing. And I think as Americans, you know, to what extent we can, I know it seems very small, but expressing solidarity with them, remembering the names of Masa Amini and the other women um, who have died in this, expressing our admiration and support for what these incredibly brave people are doing. It feels small, but I think right now that's the right thing to do. When you make the list of reasons that Iran would get involved in Ukraine, how does that stack up with what the government is dealing with inside their own country? And where else in the world are we seeing Iran engaged? I see so much emphasis right now in the foreign policy journalism world on Africa, and I wonder if there's a tie mm -hmm. to terrorism in Africa with Iran. Just what, what all goes on the whiteboard when the Biden administration is deciding how how hard we push and how much we stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Iranian regime is quite active anywhere where, well, I mean, primarily they're just, you know, if they can kind of stick it to the United States or Saudi Arabia, whoever they, they try to do that. So they are, um, you know, they've always been very active in supporting Hezbollah in Lebanon. They've been very, very active in supporting a number of Shia, not all, but some Shia groups in Iraq. They have provided um, support to the Houthis in Yemen. They are somewhat engaged in Africa. Um, the data I've seen on that is really controversial, um, but certainly they have had some involvement, um, particularly where they can use links to Shia communities. So they've they've been involved in Afghanistan. They're you know they kind of are involved in lots of different places. I think the situation with Ukraine is very interesting because at the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, this current, this latest invasion in 2022, um, 
Iran was trying to remain pretty neutral. They had relations with Ukraine. They had relations with Russia. They were trying to remain generally neutral. Um, you can kind of see that in some of their UN votes, for example. But that changed over the summer. Over the summer, it became very clear that the Supreme Leader and other Iranian leaders were just completely throwing their lot in with the Russians. Um, and that certainly includes providing these drones, um, these armed drones to Russia, which Russia has been using in Ukraine, um, specifically against civilian targets. And we can remember, too, that Iran and Russia were both involved in the war in Syria and supporting the Assad regime. I would not consider them close allies. I think there is a very pragmatic relationship. Um, but right now, they have worked together in Syria. They've worked together in Ukraine. They are both, I think, together the most sanctioned countries in the world. Maybe North Korea is in there, too. Um, so they are definitely kind of making common cause. And that was not a given at the start of the war, but certainly they're fully in bed now. Well, Carrie, it is always helpful to talk with you and to get that larger context. And I really appreciate the call to action to just be supportive to the extent that we can of the young people, the women, and the folks who for a long time in Iran have been saying to their regime, you do not represent us. I wish there were a, a neater answer that got us closer to something that looked like a, a peaceful, prosperous Iran with a with a good relationship mm-hmm. with the United States. But it is very helpful to have all of the the benefit of your wisdom. So thank you for spending time with us. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think this is such an important issue. And um, I think we're all very inspired by what we're seeing among the Iranian people. Just think we need to keep in mind it's it's messy. It's complicated. Mm. It will be messy. It will be complicated. But we'll see what happens. And always a pleasure to talk with you both. And congratulations on seven years. It's very exciting. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie, for joining us as always and helping make some sense of some incredibly complex issues that are very important to us, not just as Americans, but also as citizens of the world who are subject to these trends and who are interested in seeing people everywhere be freer. Up next, we will end as we always do by talking about what's on our minds outside politics. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Sarah, I'm going to need a little group therapy today outside of politics because since February, my children have been preparing me for the fact that we are not going to do a family costume this year. We have done family costumes their entire lives. And here at the the ripe ages of 11 and 7, they have decided they want to strike out in their own directions. I am both proud of them and very, very sad. I shamed mine into compliance for a little bit longer. It was a real loose theme last year. Last year it was just our favorite TV show characters. Um, our costumes definitely didn't go together. So I guess our, our last fully, fully compatible theme was actually when I guess Griffin was 11 and Amos were seven. I don't like it. I don't like it because it feels unfair to Felix because I feel like Felix got less of a run and he loves it. He just loves it. Now we are, again, this one is even looser. This one is a true stretch. Last year, I, I, w- I would have defended our favorite TV show characters. I thought, it, I thought it worked, okay? This year, we're doing our favorite singers, obviously, because Felix is obsessed with Elvis. <laughs> and my mom told Griffin and Amos that they could be Harry Styles because Harry Styles wears whatever he wants. So if you ask them, they'll be like, I'm Harry Styles. But they're not. They're like, Griffin's some internet cartoon character. Amos is an anime character. I will say that we have had a recent development. We were talking about this. We were talking about how sad it is not to have family costumes. And by sad, I mean sad for me. And I got a begrudging agreement from Griffin and Amos that next year we could do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because it is a tragedy to not do that in our family. Have you seen April recently? Have you looked at a a drawing of April from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles recently? We look exactly alike. So I made a strong pitch of like, you guys cannot take this from me. There are four of you. I look just like April. And Griffin was like, fine. Okay, next year we'll do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But then that's it for real. And I was like, okay, fine. So I got, I'm going to squeak out one more year, I think. I should have made him sign something, but that's where we're at. I love that journey for you. I loved that movie when I was in school. There was a group of boys that always wanted to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the gym when I was in elementary mm. school, and they always recruited me to be April. And I I really dug that role. Serving pizzas to people for play is like very much the Enneagram 2's ideal recess. So I'm excited for you about that. I think we're probably done here. Jane and Ellen are very different humans and have very different <laughs> ideas about who they want to be. Jane in particular is so into uh, watching Pinterest videos about makeup is probably a weak term to describe what she likes. She <laughs> likes the artistry of of using one's face as a canvas. And so her interest here was really on a costume that allowed her to have fun with eyeliner. And that's fine, but that's not where Ellen's going to be for a long time. So I am just going to put on like a cozy sweater and probably a (gasps) vest. You're not even going to wear a costume? I'm not going to wear a costume. I'm going to sit by the fire and hand out the candy and try to be as gracious and supportive about this as I can, even though I I feel neither gracious nor supportive. I want to be like, (laughs) why are you doing this to me? This has been so fun. It has. I mean, listen, our family costumes are baller. I will not be humble about it. We have had some very strong years. But forget them. Nicholas will keep dressing up with me. So we will keep dressing up. We will keep dressing up. And I'm sure Felix will still stay in it with us for a while, too, because he really does love it. 
And we're recycling our costume from last year for the Halloween party that friends of ours throw every year. And I might keep that cycle going. Like, whatever I wore on Halloween Day, I'll wear to the party next year and just keep doing it on down. Um, I love dressing up. You're not going to stop me from dressing up, you spoil sport children. You know, Chad would absolutely dress up with me, too. We talked about trying to do Paul and Prue from the Great British Bake Off. We decided too late for him to grow a good beard to be Paul. So we're (laughs) going to keep that in our mind. I think we'll probably dress up again someday. This year, it just felt important to me to be like, Beth, just fully embrace this. Just go with it completely. Don't, Don't ease off. Just be like, okay, you have your moment. And I think that they... This is my secret manipulative side. I think they'll probably be sad that we aren't dressed up. They're going. They are definitely sad. They all last year when it was like not quite as tight. They were a little sad, and I definitely like. I'm like, it's not fair. Again, it's not fair to Felix. You got to do it for 11 years. He's only seven years old, and he loves it. Why would you take this from him? So I will shame about things that don't matter, like Halloween costumes. I'm not sorry at all. I just want them to remember this fondly and to remember us having fun together. It is so easy to be so serious as a parent. And I am working really Mm -hmm. hard in every area of my life to bring more playfulness to it. And this has just been such a delightfully playful way to be together as a family. So we'll have a good Halloween, but it is going to be really different. I don't want to overplay my hand here, but my Halloween costume this year is amazing i can't wait for everybody to see it but i'm gonna keep it a secret here on the podcast today make y'all wait i can't wait i'm excited well thank you all so much for joining us today we would love again for you to post four times about today's episode or any episode of pantsy politics that you enjoy and you can do that in the way that meets you where you are you can comment on our post share an episode in your feeder story send us a tweet do a tiktok dance in our honor whatever you would enjoy doing and we will see you back here on friday until then have the best week available to you Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Lori Lodow. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.